Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 21 Role Playing Game Based Comics. This week, I wanted to step back from the deep dives into games, creators, and companies and look into some good old fashioned entertainment. I mean, we've all read comics over the years. Whether it's the daily comics in the newspaper or the monthly comic books from either a newsstand, you can Google that if you don't know what it is, or your friendly local comic or game shop. But there have been a number of comics over the years that cover the role-playing hobby. Some are daily or weekly strips, while others come out in a monthly comic book form. And, for the record, there are as many comics based on gaming as there are gamers out there. Again, Google it if you don't believe me. For the purposes of our show today, I'm going to look at five. Knights of the Dinner Table, Dork Tower, Nodwick, Order of the Stick, and What's New with Phil and Dixie. I do want to mention up front that I'm a huge fan of all five of these comics, and they first came to my attention in the pages of Dragon Magazine, which I subscribed to for a great number of years and bought off the newsstand for years before. So, if it sounds like I'm being a bit of a homer discussing these comics, I'll admit I am. Hey, if you've got comics you'd like to hear me talk about, hit me up and I'll work them up into another episode down the line. Deal? With all of that out of the way, let's dive into the first comic on my list, Knights of the Dinner Table. Knights of the Dinner Table was created by Jolly Blackburn, who handles the drawings and the dialogue for every single one of his comics. Oh, hey, it's a Jolly Blackburn reference. I haven't brought him up in ages. Anyway, the title of the comic is, in and of itself, a poke at Arthurian legend, namely the Knights of the Round Table. After all, the stereotypical game is played around a kitchen table, so the name kind of fits. Knights of the Dinner Table first appeared in the pages of Shadis Magazine. Specifically, it showed up in issue 2, dated March-April of 1990. Jolly was the creator and editor of the magazine, which was originally conceived as an independent fanzine. He decided, going into that issue, that he wanted to draw what he called a simple comic strip, which he could use on the last page of the magazine. Jolly has admitted over the years that he never intended Knights of the Dinner Table to be a permanent fixture in the magazine. In fact, by Shadis issue number six, Jolly tried to replace that strip with something that looked a little more professional. But the readers of Shadis got pissed at the loss of their knights, so Jolly returned the strip to the magazine shortly thereafter. Knights of the Dinner Table would continue to be published in Shadis Magazine until December of 1995, when it made its final appearance in issue number 21. In addition, Jolly made the decision to release Knights of the Dinner Table as a comic book, utilizing his company, Alderac Entertainment Group, to publish three issues between 1994 and 1995. In December of 1995, Jolly made the decision to leave Alderac, and he was allowed to take Knights of the Dinner Table with him. He made the decision to form a new company called KODT Interactive Factory, which was what he was going to utilize to publish Knights of the Dinner Table as a monthly comic. During this same period, the folks at Dragon Magazine reached out to Jolly to inquire about the availability of Knights of the Dinner Table for their magazine. According to published reports, Jolly had actually intended to continue allowing Shadis to use the strip, 
but was convinced to move that strip over to Dragon. Knights of the Dinner Table made its first appearance in Dragon Magazine number 226, February 1996, and would continue to appear in the magazine monthly through issue number 269 in March of 2000. As Jolly was working on Knights of the Dinner Table number 4 in 1996, he made the decision that he didn't want to go down the publishing path alone. So with that in mind, he accepted an invitation from David Kenzer and the folks at Kenzer & Company to bring his comic, as well as the rest of his creative talents, to their company. Knights of the Dinner Table number 5, which dropped in February of 1997, was the first credited to the KODT development team, which is Jolly, Kenzer, Brian Jelke, and Steve Johansson. Knights of the Dinner Table is presented in black and white, with the covers of the monthly comics and trade paperbacks typically being in color. There have also been reports over the years that some of the scenes are reused over time, but whether or not that's true, I was unable to confirm. And frankly, I don't care, because in my opinion, it doesn't matter. After all, if it's true, what it would mean is that rather than draw the same five people sitting around the same table playing games from panel to panel over and over and over again, Jolly gets to spend more time working up the jokes and working up the stories. So to me, who cares whether or not every panel's drawn fresh or not? So what's Knights of the Dinner Table all about? Its main group of characters, the Knights of the title of the comics, are five gamers playing in a fictionalized version of Muncie, Indiana. B.A. Felton is the long-suffering game master for the group. I say long-suffering because no matter how excellent his game is, his players always find a way to blow up his plans. And by blow up, I mean take his well-planned game and foobar it. And if you don't know what foobar means, again, kids, Google it. Bob Herzog is presented as a hack-and-slash style of gamer. There have been some who've described Bob as an old-school gamer, and, and while some of his opinions are definitely old-school, I feel that a lot of his attitudes are straight-up hack-and-slash. By that, it means literally hack-and-slash at everything and then loot the dead body. Bob is also used to play into some of the stereotypes of a gamer. He lived at home into his late 20s, early 30s. He's awkward with women, though he does get a girlfriend in later issues. Oh, and he blows all of his cash on gaming gear. Dave Boswell is definitely a hack-and-slash gamer, and he partners with Bob on most of his in-game killing sprees. Later on, Dave changes classes to Magic User, which leads him partnering with Brian, and you'll see where this is a really bad idea for BA here in just a minute. He's also presented as the type of guy that the ladies really seem to be into, even though he's not necessarily into them. Sarah Felton is BA's cousin and the only female member of the Knights. Sarah is presented as the example of what many of us would consider to be the textbook excellent gamer. She loves to roleplay, she tries to roleplay, she tries to talk the other three members of the group out of their various ploys and plots, and then tries to do what she can to keep the group and therefore the game on track. Sarah is also used to either poke fun at or flat out destroy the stereotypes about women in gaming. Over the years, she's railed against the proverbial chainmail bikini that so many female characters wore in games over the years, rampant sexism at some game tables, and a whole host of other issues Jolly and the KODT team have chosen to address. Brian Van Hoos is both a rules lawyer and a power gamer. In other words, he tends to know and argue every rule in the book, and he will attempt to beat poor B.A. over the head with them whenever he can. 
He's also into crafting his characters to get the maximum output for the minimal input each and every time. He's also typically the guy who can quote the rules to Bob and Dave that they'll use to try to screw over BA in their various plots. So, those are the knights. Now, while they're the main group of the comic, they're not the only one. The Black Hands and Patty's Perps also get some comic time, as well as individual characters from all three groups interacting, especially considering that Weird Pete, who's a member of the Black Hands, is the owner of the local game shop. In short, Knights of the Dinner Table is a comic that not only acknowledges the stereotypes and trends in the role-playing game field, but it also takes plenty of shots at them. In my opinion, if you've never read it, you need to head over to the Kenzer & Company website, kenzerco.com, and check out some backstrips. You can also order comics and trades from the site. Knights of the Dinner Table has been recognized a lot over the years. It won the Origins Award for Best Professional Game Magazine in both 1998 and 1999. It also picked up an Origins Award for Best Game Accessory of 2009. Oh, and yeah, there is an actual game book for Hackmaster, which is the D&D analog the players play in the comic. But we're going to cover that in another episode, so if you want to know more about it now, you just might want to keep that Google bar open. All right, next up, let's jump over to Nodwick. Created by Aaron Williams, Nodwick takes a lot of shots at the conventions of fantasy role-playing games, specifically D&D. Nodwick made its first appearance in Dragon Magazine with issue number 246 in April of 1998. Initially, Nodwick was a short strip appearing in various places in the magazine just to give you some chuckles after you checked out some of that more game-intensive content in the magazine. Along the way, Nodwick became so popular, a second strip started appearing monthly in Dungeon Magazine. That strip was specifically created to poke fun at one of the adventures that were published in that month's issue. In Dragon Number 270, which dropped in April of 2000, Nodwick was tapped to replace Knights of the Dinner Table, and it saw an expansion to a two-page spread. The strips continued to poke fun at fantasy role-playing games, but it became more and more obvious that D&D was the game they were poking fun at. After a while, Nodwick went back to a single-page comic, then eventually was dropped from Dragon, though the dungeon strips continued. The major change at that time was that the dungeon strips no longer were specific to the adventures in that issue. Nodwick continued to appear in Dungeon until the magazine shut down in late 2007. At one point, Nodwick was a bi-monthly comic book. That ran for 36 issues before it came to a close. However, Nodwick still survives. Strips are utilized as what are known as backup strips in Nodwick's sister publication, PS238. I would note, though, that you can get trade paperbacks of the comics wherever you buy your comic books. Just ask. Oh, and you may be asking, just who in the hell is Nodwick? By the way, I think that would make a great t-shirt. Aaron Williams, all I ask of you is if you use that, hook me up with a shirt, my man. Just hook me up with a shirt. Nodwick is a short henchman. Williams uses the term henchman rather than hireling, but the hireling from Advanced Dungeons & Dragons is what Nodwick is intended to imitate. He's been the man of hench for the adventuring party for a very long time, even as the comic started. And as Williams' artistic style evolved, Nodwick became shorter and his nose got bigger. And yes, those physical changes were commented on on more than one occasion in the comics. Nodwick is what I would term as an abuse monkey. 
He's constantly forced to carry way more stuff than any one individual should have to schlep. In addition, he's frequently utilized to set off traps, attract or distract monsters, and he's even been used as a battering ram a few times. Needless to say, Nodwick tends to either get really injured or die frequently throughout the strips, but Piffany always seems to come up with the way to bring him back. Nodwick is the common sense of the party, though none of them tend to listen to him. However, he will tend to point out how screwed up their ideas are, especially since he's the one who tends to pay the price for the harebrainedness of the plans. Over the years, Nodwick was given stats for AD&D, with the idea being he has proficiencies in so many nondescript categories it's ridiculous. However, one thing I found funny was that one AD&D set of rules for Nodwick notes that anytime the group encounters a deity, there's a 20% chance the deity recognizes Nodwick since he dies so damn much. Jaeger is the party's fighter and is every bit the stereotypical fighter. He's buff, he's armored, he's drunk, and he's dumb as hell. However, from time to time, the strip does show that as a fighter, he's a definite badass. Artax is the party's wizard. Much as with Jaeger, Artax is the stereotypical mage type. He even wears the pointy green hat and has the long mustache. Artax is definitely smart, but he can be fairly easily convinced to go along with one of Jaeger's dumb ideas. He also never hesitates to use Nodwick as a guinea pig. Epiphany, who I mentioned just a moment ago, is the group's cleric. She's portrayed as a genuine sweetheart, but way, way more on the naive side. She's small, wears glasses, and bakes the world's best cookies. She also spends way too much time having to put Nodwick back together with her duct tape of healing. And yes, it's a thing. Her naivete allows Jaeger and Artax to use or distract her to accomplish their various schemes. Now, i got to be honest about something for a minute. When I was originally putting together the list for this episode, I'd forgotten about Nodwick. I'm ashamed to admit that, but when I was doing some research on Knights of the Dinner Table and Dork Tower, I was linked to Nodwick. And when I saw it again for the first time in a very long time, I was so embarrassed I'd forgotten the strip that caused me to laugh so hard back when I first started reading it in the pages of Dragon Magazine. So, to Aaron Williams, my greatest, deepest apologies, sir. All right, I just mentioned Dork Tower a couple of minutes ago, so let's deep dive it next. Dork Tower was created by John Kavalik and made its first appearance in January of 1997. Over its history, it has appeared in the pages of Dragon Magazine, Shadus, Comic Shop News, and Pyramid. It has also gotten its own bi-monthly comic book, as well as weekly strips dropped online. Now, I realize this is a show discussing comic strips that are focused on role-playing games, but Dork Tower covers so much more than that. The easiest way to put it is that Dork Tower covers pretty much everything in dork or geek culture. Role-playing games, comic books, video games, sci-fi and fantasy movies. Dork Tower covers it all. John also takes the opportunity from time to time to infuse a bit of current events into his strips, usually to both alleviate concerns as well as poke fun at the absurdity at some parts of our society today. Now, during the first year the comic ran in Dragon Magazine, it had a different name. Called Shopkeep, it was focused on the game shop in the comic's fictional town of Mud Bay, Wisconsin. Those strips were specific to the role-playing game world, and the owner of the game shop was the featured character. However, other members of the Dork Tower strip 
which was running in other magazines at the time, made appearances as well, and dragon readers were able to become aware of and then infatuated with Dork Tower. After about a year, Shopkeep was discontinued and Dork Tower settled in at Dragon. Matt McLemore is the featured character of the comic. He's the GM for his game group, but also the surrogate for the reader, as many of the situations he finds himself in are similar to what the majority of the comic's readers have experienced. Ken Mills is considered to be the most responsible member of the group. He's buttoned down, but not too serious. Igor is the comic relief of this strip. He's known to say, MINE, and throw wads of cash at the cashier when something new and overhyped comes out. He makes rash decisions when he games as well, but unlike Knights at the Dinner Table, where these decisions turn into a foobar, Matt and Ken can tend to find a way to either get Igor back in line or just smack him down. Carson is a muskrat. He's got a bad case of short attention span and tends to switch his interests as frequently as I change my Taco Bell order. However, he works to support his interests, though his jobs are shown to be demeaning service sector jobs. Bill Blyden is the owner and manager of Pegasaurus Games, which is the game shop in Mud Bay where all the characters shop. While he's presented as a comic-appropriate character, he's also the voice of the game shop, which is increasingly seeing itself under siege from Amazon and other online companies. Gilly Woods is known as the Perky Goth. She's a LARPer, and Matt has a crush on her. What makes her perky is that even though she is presented as goth, she's into cute and cheerful things, which would theoretically be the opposite of goth. There are other characters that appear in the strips, but if you know these, you're prepared to pick up a comic and start reading. Dork Tower won the 2002 Origins Award for Best Game-Related Periodical, as well as the Award for Best Game-Related Fiction Graphic Form. It had picked up an Origins Award the previous year for Best Professional Game Periodical. If you're interested in Dork Tower, you can head over to your friendly local comic or game shop and pick up a copy of the comic, or you can head to their website, dorktower.com, and see strips as well as purchase merch. Next up on today's tour is the newest strip in this collection, The Order of the Stick. The Order of the Stick is a straight-up satirization of RPGs in medieval fantasy and is drawn in a stick figure style. Rich Berlou is the creator and writer for the strip, and unlike the other strips in today's show, Order of the Stick is, and pretty much always has been, an online strip. The Order of the Stick started on September 29, 2003. Rich Berlou posted the first strips on his personal site for gaming articles. In several interviews he's done over the years, Rich admitted that, at first, he didn't intend for the strip to have any sort of plot or storyline. He'd intended the comics to just poke fun at the gaming world. However, it didn't take long for Rich to change his mind, and he began laying down the foundation for a storyline by strip number 13. Order of the Stick was intended initially to be entertainment for the readers of the serious articles on his website. However, the strip became so popular, Rich dropped the article writing and focused on the comic. In the beginning, Order of the Stick was a twice-weekly comic, with new strips dropping on Mondays and Thursdays. Once the pre-sales for the first compilation book were announced, Rich decided to not only make writing the comic his full-time gig, but he also added another new strip each week, bringing that total to three. On September 30th, 2005, Rich announced that Order of the Stick would start appearing in Dragon Magazine. It debuted in the December 2005 issue, appearing on the last page. 
The following month, it got a four-panel strip in the interior of the magazine, but was back to a full page on the last page in February of 2006. Order the Stick would stay in that spot until Dragon ceased publication in September of 2007. Now, there was a major difference between the Dragon version of Order of the Stick and the online version. The difference was that while the main characters were the same, the supporting characters and villains were different. Also different, the adventure for the Dragon strips were in an unspecified location. In other words, the Dragon strips and the online strips had different canon. Rich Burlew has said in the past that the continuity of the strips were supposed to be different, so that the events of one wouldn't impact the other. Since 2007, the schedule for Order of the Stick has been irregular. This is because Rich Berlue has had a variety of ongoing health concerns. However, he's been upfront with his readers, posting on his website when things will prevent new strips from dropping. It should also be noted that for at least two years, he's been claiming he's only got one more book in him. However, he frequently reminds readers in the very next statement that it took him five years to put the previous book together and five more years for the previous book before that, so Order of the Stick isn't going anywhere anytime soon. What makes Order of the Stick different from the other comics we're discussing today is that it's very self-aware. If you're a fan of Deadpool, you've seen this type of self-awareness before. The characters understand they're in a role-playing game, and they're aware of the rules of that game. In fact, characters will frequently break the fourth wall to make comments about rules and rule changes, especially right after they've leveled up. On that note, I remember one strip where there was a, a ding effect popping up over each of the characters' heads. One by one, they acknowledged they'd leveled up and started spouting off all the new stuff they could do. The rogue character was waiting for his ding, and when it didn't come, he figured out he was about 100 XP short of leveling up, and immediately started killing rats, mice, and other small creatures in an attempt to get his 100 XP so he could level up. Yeah, this is that kind of comic, and I love it for it. The fourth wall also got broken a couple of times when characters in the main strip made reference to things that were said in the dragon strip, noting that, I told you that in the dragon strip, so I don't even know if it's canon. Order of the Stick has 10 books, mostly with compiled online strips, though there have been some new strips written just for the books. There have also been board games and other assorted products released. If you want to check it out, you can either pick up a book at your local comic or game shop, or head over to the site at giantitp.com and choose Order of the Stick in your options. Last up on today's tour is a comic that is no longer produced. What's New with Phil and Dixie? What's New with Phil and Dixie was a parody comic created by Phil Foglio. He was the Phil in the strip. He and Dixie explored the world of gaming, specifically tabletop role-playing games. Some of their exploration was reporting, some was advice, but it was all definitely parody, especially with some of Dixie's replies to Phil. There was a long-running joke in the strips about the sex in D&D segment they'd be doing. However, it was never produced for the magazines, though I hear it was written and included in one of the printings of a book that they did. What's new with Phil and Dixie first appeared in Dragon Magazine in 1980, somewhere around issue number 50, and ran through issue number 84 in 1984. Phil Foglio had done some cover art for Dragon Magazine before he began the comic strip, and he admitted in an interview that he realized he could make more money if he did a comic instead of the cover art. So he did it for about four years before retiring it to focus on other creative works. However, during the strip's hiatus, the characters did appear in Phil's book, Another Fine Myth. 
But the strip had been so popular, Phil was encouraged to resurrect it for the Duelist magazine in 1993. One big change when it came back was that Phil and Dixie focused on the collectible card game section of the business instead of the role-playing game section. The comic's Duelist run ended in 1999 when the Duelist ceased publication. However, Wizards of the Coast knew a good thing when they saw it, and What's New moved back to Dragon Magazine, running from 1999 to 2003 in issues 265 through 311 before it stopped again. But it came back one final time with a farewell strip in Dragon number 359, which was the final Dragon Magazine to be printed. What's New has had its strips collected and published in three collections over the years, and I believe you can find them, though it may take you a little bit of digging to do so. But trust me, it's well worth the search. Phil Foglio also republished the strip on his personal website for three years as a weekly webcomic, but he stopped doing that in 2010. Now, as I said, What's New is no longer published, but its impact on those of us who read Dragon Magazine in the early 1980s cannot be overstated. Again, if you find it, I strongly recommend you check it out, though I will warn you in advance that a lot of those strips, well, okay, not a lot, some of those strips have not aged well. So we're almost at the end of today's tour. But before we stop the bus, I did want to point out that if you want to keep up to date on what these artists are doing, you can typically find them either on their websites or on social media. In the cases of Jolly Blackburn and John Kavalik, they post frequently on Facebook and I follow both of them. If you're interested, I suggest you check them out. And with that, we come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we'll get back into the game deep dive, but this time, let's do some cyberpunk. We'll look long and hard at Shadowrun. By the way, I want to try something here. Friday, November 26th is the day after Thanksgiving here in the United States. That being said, I know that more than 40% of our listeners come from outside the U.S. So with that in mind, and wanting to just see how popular we really are, I want to send a challenge out to you. You are going to decide what the topic's going to be for the November 26th show. Is there something you've been dying to hear me talk about? Let me know. Do you want me to expand further on something I already talked about? Let me know. Hell, you want to do an Ask Me Anything? Let me know. I'll be taking your suggestions on all the forums, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and by email. So, starting today, you can drop your ideas to me. I'll be updating where we are at the end of each episode so that you can either vote for something we've already got or you can mention something new. I'll be announcing the winner on Friday, November 19th, so you will have until Wednesday, November 17th to get your ideas into me. This is either going to be one of the best ideas I've ever had or a soul-crushing bad idea. Either way, I want to send a shout out to all of you for continuing to listen to our little show that could. Again, I ask you to tell anyone you think might dig the show to check us out and give us good reviews wherever you can review your podcasts. By the way, the music that we use to both come in and go out on this podcast comes from Pixabay.com. If you're looking for royalty-free music, check them out. They've also got royalty-free backgrounds and, and other things. So it's Pixabay.com. Give them a check. 
As always, you can check us out on Facebook at the Role Playing History Podcast page. Twitter, hit us up at Role Playing P. YouTube, our page is Role Playing History Podcast. Click on the subscribe button and hit the bell so you get alerts when we drop new stuff. You can email us at roleplayinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we go cyberpunk and check out Shadowrun. But that's next week. And until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history.